You're listening to the audio version of Up the Waterfall. To see us and everything we're talking about, be sure to watch the video version at youtube.com slash Xanaland. Thanks for listening. In 1967, Bob Snow sold his Porsche Roadster and combined the profits with his last pilot's paycheck from the U.S. Navy. With nothing more than those proceeds and a love of Dixieland music, Bob Snow opened Rosie O'Grady's in Pensacola, Florida. The year was 1967. Years later, at the urging of a friend, he scouted locations for a new Rosie O'Grady's in Orlando. After two days with no prospects, he was in a cab on the way to the airport when he asked the driver if there was anything historic in Orlando. Not thinking there was much, the driver noted, we've got an old train station on Church Street. Even though he was minutes from the airport, Bob insisted they turn back so he could see the station. He kept the meter running for an hour and a half as he examined the old Victorian building, which opened in 1890 but hadn't seen passengers since 1920. Bob knew it was something special. On July 24, 1974, Rosie O'Grady's Good Time Emporium opened for business at Church Street Station in Orlando. Church Street Station was a success from the start, causing a revitalization of downtown Orlando and making it a destination on its own. At its peak, Church Street Station was bringing in 3.5 million visitors to downtown Orlando. Michael Eisner, fresh into his promise to create the Disney decade, saw this success and saw his guests leaving Walt Disney World's bubble and venturing downtown to enjoy Dixieland jazz, top-notch dining, live music and dancing, and said basically, I want that. Thus, Pleasure Island was born. Pleasure Island is unlike any other island you've ever visited. This is an oasis of seven nightclubs, restaurants, and stores. These aren't your average establishments. Welcome to clubbing Disney style. This is the Adventures Club. Here you're surrounded by authentic 1930s paraphernalia and are treated to unique experiences like a mask room. Down the street, there's the Zephyr Rock and Roller Drome, where you'll find live bands, food and drink, and a roller skating rink. Is this direct competition to Church Street Station? No, I don't think Disney ever thinks about competing with anybody. An army of workers is sprucing Pleasure Island up for tonight's extravaganza, but most of the public won't get to come to the island till mid-May. If Pleasure Island becomes a success, and Disney believes it will, you may see more of these complexes throughout the country. Wendy Chioji, News Center 2, Pleasure Island. Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of that? By going up the waterfall. That's right. Anything's possible in Disneyland. Welcome to this episode of Up the Waterfall with your hosts, Zana and Scott Otis. Hello, everyone. Where we share a journey of Disney history, parks, resorts, entertainment, all that fun stuff. That's right. And uh, it's been a bit, but we're back (laughs) and better than ever. This is the podcast so nice, we recorded it twice. (laughs) Uh, We're happy to be here and bring you a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. I've wanted to do this um, since before we did our last episode on Frontierland. Uh, it's just been a while since we gathered all of our research materials mm-hmm. and got our timing right. Uh, but here we are exploring Pleasure Island. That's right. Its origins and what happened to it. 
That's right. And the history of all of the clubs and everything. Yeah. And I wanted to start with the Rosie O'Grady's Church Street Station background because really that is the origins. Absolutely. Of, it wasn't on anyone's mind until Rosie O'Grady's and Church Street Station became such a success. Um, and of course, you know, Michael Eisner did not want people <laughs> to leave Walt Disney World. Michael so. Eisner being who he is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we thought we'd just take a stroll down memory lane, as it were, uh, to talk about how Pleasure Island came to be, what the different clubs were, mm -hmm. and of course, a very important part of this is the backstory Oh yes, of Pleasure Island. <laughs> the very creative and interesting backstory. Yes. Um, we mentioned this in one of our episodes or live shows, but around the time that uh, Epcot was doing its live entertainment like the in Italy and England oh, right, right. the UK pavilion they had those live uh, improv mm -hmm. shows those people came from basically the sack comedy theater in downtown Orlando they sure did and then when Michael Eisner wanted to build Disney MGM Studios he pulled those guys and basically made a lot of them Imagineers yeah essentially had them cr create the little backstory that, yeah. that goes along so they had worked on creating Streetmosphere at MGM Studios, and then it was just a natural um, pick to choose them to create the backstory of Pleasure Island, because nothing at Disney can exist without a backstory. That's how Disney is. Yes. That's right. It's all story, all the time. So what is your history with uh, Rosie O'Grady's and Church Street Station? That's right. We both have been there. Um, you went when you were a little older. I, I think was... Not our first trip, but, you know, we went in the mid-80s. That's when my first major trip that I remember was in 1983. But probably the year after that, in 84, uh, we had come back oh, down wow. and, and done like a, you know, one of those packages. Like if you do Delta Vacations <laughs> or whatever the airline du jour was, uh, they would give you coupons for things. That's how I saw like King Henry's Feast back when that was oh, a thing. Oh, lucky you. And... Uh, yeah, we we got like tickets or coupons or something for Rosie O'Grady's. And I remember going to Rosie O'Grady's and getting a little garter, a red garter, <laughs> which I still had for a long time. I don't know what happened to it now. It had a little plastic, you know, Rosie O'Grady's badge on it. Of course. I'm sure they had souvenir cups and glasses that I did not get because we were just there in the daytime. We weren't doing uh -huh. any of the nighttime stuff. So I, I feel like maybe we had lunch and then left. And I first learned about it, as I'm sure you did as well, as all great things when we were little and didn't have any, we weren't living in Florida, um, either one of us. The so Steve Birnbaum Exactly. Guide. You just read the, you know, outside of Disney That's section right. and it talked about things like that. And I remember when the Mercado was a big thing uh -huh. that opened, which is now like... That's Point Orlando now, yeah. isn't it? Which yeah, I don't even know if they still call it that. Oh, no, that's, that's farther up. It's where the uh, Orlando icon, the wheel, is. The, oh. Yeah. Isn't that right near Point Orlando? They're all They're connected. a little bit off. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we went to there, too. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. what about you? Yeah, I uh, literally, I only went there one time in, I believe, 1990. I think I went to the Cheyenne Wild Horse, or... The Cheyenne Saloon, I'm, I'm sorry, we should say. And uh, in Rosie O'Grady's one time, it was at night, so I did get to kind of see it. Uh, you know, I think it was a Friday night, so mm -hmm. I saw it in all of the hubbub of all of that. Um, I really don't have a lot of great memories about it, though. <laughs> 
I just I that think it was it just the like one time. Terrible memories. No, no, about they it. weren't terrible. I just uh, <laughs> I guess my memory is is leaving. Yeah, I don't remember too much else until like you know I had my. It, it was around for a long time. I and it became other things beyond. Yeah. But I mean, um, Rosie O'Grady. Basically, you know, after Pleasure Island opened, I really never had a reason yeah. to go there. So I went to Pleasure Island. Yeah, and you know, if you you probably saw, if you're watching this video version, uh, we will show you clips of what Rosie O'Grady's used to look like. And oh yeah, it really was a different time. Um, Rosie O'Grady's, Bob Snow is quoted as saying that Rosie O'Grady's could not exist today. And I think that's very true because it just came around at the time when like malls were just oh, becoming yeah. <laughs> a huge American pastime. It was just going to the mall and hanging out at the mall. So creating a place where everything was in one spot and you didn't have to drive all over Orlando to get to different places to enjoy music or dining or whatever. It was all just one place, which was genius and I don't think it would happen today because the world is just so different malls aren't really a place that people hang out anymore not (laughs) Not that this was a mall per se but it it was just like the idea of like oh there's something for everyone here Um, and I think now as is evidenced by the current state of Disney Springs what people want is like third party vendors <laughs> I, I don't know if it's what they want or they want it because disney gave it to them and we'll That's talk about debate. that certainly with the history um, of uh, of what happened on the island yeah exactly but i just think it was just the perfect storm of uh american you know what people wanted and what was at rosie o'grady's yeah. and for a while it did work at pleasure island as well that's right um, I was going to say, uh, Michael Eisner, he announced uh, Pleasure Island on July 21st, 1986, aboard the Empress Lily over there at the uh, Marketplace. And uh, they began construction in August of 86. And then um, it was actually inspired by an existing island over in Vancouver, Canada, Granville Island, right. which is kind of its own little, uh, it, it kind of evolved from, um, st- you know, street markets and things yeah. like that. Uh, um, into clubs and things like that too. Yeah, I mean, thinking about that kind of thing, I'm thinking of Faneuil Hall in Boston. Oh yeah, which is not the same scale as something like Rosie O'Grady's. They're very small little places, but there's like food stall kind of things and table service mm-hmm. dining on like the ends, and there's always live music playing and things like that. I mean, that certainly has stood the test of time, but <laughs> it's like a very touristy right. place to go, and there's no cover charge exactly. to get in anywhere. So Yeah, and, and so just like Granville Island or in Vancouver, which is literally an island that's just off of the, uh, the coast, there just has a road that goes over. That's very similar to physically how Pleasure Island is as well. It is an island that literally is just kind of carved through by a canal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they added bridges and made it an island. Yeah. So we can get into the backstory. Oh yes. Of that, if you'd like. Uh, the one of the reasons I think for the backstory is that they had an excuse to have all of these different types of architecture and different weird buildings that did not go together <laughs> at all. But also they had to, uh, you know, like back in the, the Disney Village time, those stores, like I think, the, well, I'm really just like rambling on here. The co-op 
is one, an example of that where you can go into the, the Disney Marketplace co-op and then it goes into trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you go the other direction, it goes into the guest relations thing. So that was a big thing in Disney, of course, on Main Street USA. Right. Disney Clothiers goes right into the Emporium. Yeah, they had that there on Pleasure Island, too. Yeah. So it, it was that kind of um, traditional, you know, if you will, Disney the way they set things up kind of stuff, but they made the outsides all look unique and different. Mm-hmm. So okay. so why don't you give us uh, some of the unique story that the Imagineers created, and then I'll give you the um, kind of the history of that okay. venue. <clears throat> well, the- yes, there are plaques, or there were plaques, <laughs> um, all around in front of every single building uh, including the AMC theaters, which I will get to. And there were probably 20 plus of those, weren't there? Yeah, 26. And I will list them. All. I'm not going to read them all right now, but I will list them all in the blog post that will come oh, out yes. with this podcast. Uh, but this was the main entrance plaque, which was on the bridge by the ticket booths. Mm-hmm. The ticket booths, of course, being former Fort Wilderness Railroad cars. That's right. Um, which, who knows where those are now? Probably in someone's backyard. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Okay, here's the entrance plaque on the bridge. It says, founded 1911, an unverifiable, anecdotal, purely subjective, theoretical, alleged, purported history. Also, ersatz, which if you don't know what that means, (laughs) it's just completely made up. So they've covered themselves. They've, you know, that's their legal disclaimer that none of this is real. Yes. A living monument to the wise fool, the mad visionary, the scoundrel, the scallywag, and the seeker of enjoyment, Meriwether Adam Pleasure, who purchased the island in 1911. Pleasure's profitable canvas manufacturing slash sail fabricating empire founded on this site provided him with the capital to indulge his lifelong interest in the exotic, the experimental, the unexplainable. Known as the Grand Funmeister, (laughs) Pleasure disappeared during his 1941 circumnavigation of the Antarctic. His sons, Henry and Stuart, took over the island and Pleasure Enterprises. Their mismanagement led to bankruptcy in 1955. Hurricane Connie hit that same year and Pleasure Island was abandoned. In 1987, archaeologists uncovered the site and its remains, and a large-scale reclamation project was begun. In 1989, the new Pleasure Island was reopened and dedicated to the legacy of Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Fun for all and all for fun. (laughs) Placed here by the Pleasure Island Hysterical Society. That's right. Yeah. Not historical. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. Pleasure Island opened right there on uh, May 1st, 1989. Uh, pretty much the, was the same day as the Disney MGM Studios. Yes, and when we were planning to have this podcast <laughs> to coincide <laughs> with that, but that didn't really happen. That's okay. Um, what I love about this welcome plaque is there's a lot of information it really like, is a there's lot of so nonsensical much information backstory that you're just like what huh like sail making what yeah that, which is never really explained but that's like why sail making who knows um i do want to do one other one that was on the empress lily even though the empress lily was not part oh, yeah. of pleasure island it was really where the disney original Disney Village mm-hmm. ended That's like right. there was nothing there after that was the end yeah <clears throat> the Empress Lily so they did put a plaque on there and they called it the Floating Arts Palace from 1886 originally christened the Floating Arts Palace this vessel piled 
plied, wow, <laughs> plied the mighty Mississippi River for 25 years. Boat fancier Meriwether Pleasure purchased it in 1911 to use as a home guest house and entertainment center when he began construction on Pleasure Island. In 1918, the former showboat was unmoored and transformed into a summer houseboat for steaming down the tree-lined waterways of Central Florida. You know. <laughs> in 1971, the boat was restored to her original glory and recommissioned the Empress Lily in honor of Mrs. Lillian Disney. I love the street, the oh, yeah. uh, tree-lined waterways of Central Florida myself. And there actually were waterways uh, th throughout Florida, and there were steamboats that uh, took people there along were. from lake to lake. I have um, pictures of a steamboat at Silver Springs in Ocala uh -huh. from a million years ago. Not a million, but <laughs> <laughs> what I love and what you'll see as I go on and read more of these is Meriwether Pleasure has a lot of uh, descriptors about yes, his yes, personage. So, you know, boat fancier, etc. We'll get to more along the way so i with that i will jump into yeah let's go through all of the different clubs the clubs and then i'll give in a description of what happened with those clubs yes so first up is the neon armadillo which was originally called the greenhouse in 1927 Constructed to house the vast array of exotic desert plants co collected by the island founder, a globetrotter and amateur cactogist, <laughs> yep. correct me mm -hmm. if I'm wrong, Meriwether Pleasure, Pleasure regarded the greenhouse as his personal Eden. He nurtured his prickly pals, as he called them, with fanatical devotion. After Pleasure's disappearance in 1941, his greenhouse was sealed off. When it was reopened in 1989, scientists discovered a huge and happy family of armadillos. The inhabitants were immortalized in neon by the island renovators. That's right. And so, yeah, this is the neon armadillo where uh, Maria and Enzo's now is located. Mm. Um, and actually, at that time, it was sh kind of shaped to look similar to a greenhouse, just like you were talking about. Uh, neon armadillo, of course, uh, opened in 1989 as a country uh, western music uh, location with a southwestern decor. Um, they actually had a countdown at the Neon Armadillo show with the Neon Armadillo dancers that at one point was syndicated by uh, in, on syndicated <laughs> TV back in the years 1993 and 1994. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, um, that was a country western bar all the way through uh, 1998. And then on um, June 10th, 1998, actually the BET Soundstage Club opened in its place, which is named after the BET channel. Mm-hmm on television who played R&B and hip-hop and rap music, but, but family-friendly. <laughs> um, and it was kind of like guests that <clears throat> stepped into a Planet Groove, which was a TV show that was on uh, BET. Ah, yes. Uh, with lots of video screens, um, roving cameras, and um, wandering hosts and DJs. They actually served Caribbean-style finger foods. And, and of course, it had a, a giant bar as well that <laughs> served lots of drinks. <laughs> It was so quite an interesting uh, transformation right yeah, there. Yeah, it was a big time for um, handheld closed-circuit camera oh, yeah. displaying on TV kind of things. Like, that's, that's right. how they did the countdown every night, which we'll get into that um, mm -hmm. later. But, yeah, very, very 80s, you know, very oh, late yeah. 80s. But back when it was the Neon Armadillo, they actually had um, some little signs made out of neon with the little armadillo. Right. Those were like the actual armadillos. They That's made right. them into neon. It said they were <laughs> immortalized. <laughs> All right. 
Next up is the Comedy Warehouse. This was actually the power station um, from 1912. I believe this is one of the oldest buildings, um, you know, in theory. Mm -hmm. uh, this building became a storage facility when Pleasure Island was electrified in 1928. Six years later, the power station became home to the Pleasure Island Thespian Players, founded by and featuring Isabella Pleasure, wife and of island founder and drama enthusiast Meriwether Pleasure. The players specialized in elaborate Central Florida historical pageants, including the Seminole Song of the Seminole. After Mrs. Pleasure's death in 1949, the building was closed and the players disbanded. Since its restoration by the Walt Disney Company, this site is again a warehouse storing strange notions, again attractions and ideas slightly ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah, this is, so this is, you know, one of the more popular of the clubs, the Comedy Warehouse. This is currently or where STK, the steakhouse, is yes, now. But it um, was bulldozed before that happened. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, but I was just kind of giving you an, a proximity of where yes. it was located. Wayfinding. Um, but so this was an interesting thing. It was kind of... Um, it was full of Disney props and and signs all over the walls, kind of like a storage facility uh, for all of those things. It, it kind of was um, shaped like a like a lecture hall in uh, like in, in a college with a little amphitheater, with pretty steep, uh, mm, like stadium seating. Like, exactly, like stadium seating, um, where they had a stage down there, and they did a lots of improv, and they they did some stand up comedy as well. But there was a, a famous uh, thing called Forbidden Disney, where That's they kind right. of made fun of the uh, you know poked fun at all of the Disney kind of tourist tropes and, and yes. stereotypes. That was based on Forbidden Broadway, which is a thing if you've ever been oh, to a right. place that sh does Broadway shows, if it's a big enough area, because New York obviously has it, but um, Boston, I saw Forbidden Broadway in Boston, okay. and they kind of just poke fun and lampoon whatever the most popular musicals of the time are. So, yes. it's so if you can imagine, of course, uh, them yeah. kind of poking fun at the typical Disney tourists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had a lot of fun with that. Imagine uh, that today with like <laughs> live streamers and vloggers and yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they would have like anywhere between four to six shows a night and people would line up in front of the club up uh, on the top of the hill. You would uh, enter, be seated, um, enjoy the show, and then all of the exits would be at the bottom of the stage mm -hmm. so that they would have room for more people um, who were waiting in line. Um, but yeah. They had all, and you can actually go on YouTube and see some old uh, shows YouTube. of the four Forbidden Disney. It's very interesting to see. Really? Oh, I haven't oh, yeah. looked that up. I'll have to do that. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, the Comedy Warehouse has like reemerged over oh, the yeah. years a couple of times after Pleasure Island was long gone. They did, um, because a lot of those people were also from the SAC Comedy Warehouse or whatever right. it's called, theater. Uh, so they did a few over at the Hollywood Studios. Yeah, they did it like, during the holidays. They would kind of have like uh, holiday-themed uh, improv yeah. shows at the studios. They had one over at the Premier Theater, I think it's called, mm -hmm. where they used to hold the Star Wars saga That's right. thing. And then they did another one over at the former Sounds Dangerous Monster, Monster Sound, Sound Show, Sound Show right. which is now... <laughs> A Mickey 
short mm-hmm. place, which I don't shorts, yeah. remember the name of the short that's there. So that's fun. <laughs> you can check that out. Anyway, I'm sure that it will reappear over time if they can get those oh, people yeah. together. Because they, they, they're still yeah, around. People love that, especially people that have been there from the start and know those original players. That's right. Next up is the Videopolis East, yeah. which implies that there was a Videopolis West. And there was. Which you know all about because it was actually in Disneyland. Yeah, it opened in Disneyland uh, just to the left of the It's a Small World. It's that th- oh, right. um, where, where that theater. Mickey and the, the Magical Map yep. is now. That, that was. was the original venue uh, from that. It opened there in 1985. as kind of like a dance club for just kind of young yeah, teens. Trying to keep up with the times. Exactly. <laughs> so that was, that was the original Videopolis. And then they brought uh, Videopolis East. So why don't you tell us? Okay. Well, this was actually, according to the plaque, the Artificial Intelligence Lab built in 1929 and uh, built for island founder Meriwether Pleasure's son, Henry, the mad genius of Lake Buena Vista, and Henry's life work, the Pleasure Cellular Automaton. (laughs) That sounds terrible, but okay. (laughs) Henry died thinking his experiments in artificial intelligence had failed. But when the building was reopened in 1987, the automaton was alive and thriving. In fact, it directed the refurbishing of its home and designed the sophisticated (laughs) computer hardware that shows itself to its best advantage. The complete and purely subjective saga of Pleasure Island is synthesized on the ersatz hysterical plaques at the island's entrance. So some of the plaques are now having these little... Mm-hmm. blurbs at the bottom to tell you like hey you should go look for other plaques because there's more to this story that's right if you're confused <laughs> so yeah videopolis east is uh, kind of um it was where now in between the sdk steakhouse and kind of like where the ganachery is now. oh okay um Oh, yeah, because it later became The Cage, which you'll get into. That's what Uh, I remember. So it opened, yes, as Videopolis East, which actually had a strict age policy where you could only be 21 and under. Under. Unlike some of the other clubs, which was 21 and over, this one was you had to be 21 or under to be able to enter. Mm. Um, But the Videopolis East did not last... uh, about a year yeah. from opening in 1989 through 1990. And then in the year 1990, yes, it did transform to The Cage, uh, which played um, music videos over like 170 different monitors all throughout uh, the mm. club, um, which they actually did also have that in Videopolis East as well. It was kind of like alternative music from what I recall. Right. Like what I was listening to at the time. But I was kind of afraid to go in because I was not a club person. Right. So I didn't go until it changed again. Yes, in 1992. So that only lasted maybe about two years. And then it changed to eight tracks, which was, of course, you know, celebrating the 70s and 80s uh, music. For all the oldsters that, you know, for our time, the people that were older than us. And it was that (laughs) all the way through uh, throughout the existence of Pleasure Island through 2008. Wow. Very fun. Okay. Uh, But all of those, like everything on that side was completely raised, correct? Oh, yeah. Completely. Well, except for the next one that we're talking about. Oh, what's the next one? Hold on. I have to find it. Mannequin's Dance Palace. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. That brings us to Mannequin's Dance Palace. Um Built in 1912, this is another, there's a few 1912 ones, so never mind about my earliest <laughs> building. Uh, Pleasure Island Canvas Works Fabrication Plant from 1912 
Second building erected on the island, this actually housed Meriwether Pleasure's famous canvas fabrication works. In the 1930s, it was converted to a soundstage for invincible pictures, then into a design studio and workshop for various pleasure projects. Most notable of these was a huge locomotive powered by a combination of steam and magnetic power. The, a colossal turntable was installed to facilitate the work on this revolutionary product called Maxwell's Demon. Oh, my. That's a very obscure Disney <laughs> reference. Like, that's a good trivia question. Um, that was intended to revolutionize world transportation. It didn't. For further information, <laughs> for further unverifiable information on the life and times of Pleasure Island, refer to the theoretical hysterical plaques located at the island's entrances. So, yeah, Mannequin's Dance Palace. This one was uh, pretty crazy. This is uh, this was where Morimoto Asia is now. Yes. Um, but it was... Um, three stories. It was three stories. Which, you actually, well, if you go into Morimoto, you can see that yeah. it still like goes up. You would uh, begin by entering an elevator that took you to the third floor, and you would come out of the elevator, and you'd kind of have to make your way down wow. to the dance floor, uh, which was, as you said, a giant turntable. Um, this dance place only was actually also had a strict age policy, twenty-one and up, and it had you know just thumping techno. Uh, music with lots of dancers actually live dancers and the actual mannequins uh kind of s spread throughout the place as well with an yeah. amazing light display as well um and it rotated yeah so yeah on the, on the dance floor yeah the dance floor as i mentioned yeah was a giant turntable that rotated very that slowly was, yeah that was where also i believe the curfew busters dancers were which oh, yeah would happen towards <laughs> the end of the night, right before they would do the um, countdown, the countdown, and they would get New people Eve, right? all hyped up to, you know, go beyond their curfew and <laughs> and welcome in the new year. Um, lots of crazy yeah. dancers and actual mannequins, as you said, in there. Mm -hmm. I remember going in there much later on, like very close to Pleasure Island closing. And it was a very sad experience <laughs> because I walked in there and there was like Aww. literally two people <laughs> on, on the, the dance floor, like that was slowly rotating. Wow. And I was like, ooh, yeah, the this couple isn't of times, a fun time. A couple of times I went and it was, you know, at its at its heyday. You yeah. Know, where, you know, lots of, lot of people, a lot of dancing. Yeah. A lot of thump, thump, thumping <laughs> music. A lot of fun. Well, if you have any memories of mannequins, be sure to let us know. Please. We'd love to hear them. Uh, that brings us to, which was kind of across the way from it, I believe, mm -hmm. the Rock and Roll Beach Club, uh, which opened up as Zephyr Rock and Roller Dome, a roller skating dance club. That's right. This was known as Building X and erected in 1937. Island founder and UFO enthusiast Meriwether Pleasure built his experimental X thing here. Pleasure himself designed this super amphibious aircraft that could harness the power of the wind. The X thing flew only once, September 1st, 1940, with Pleasure himself at the controls. The test flight is shrouded in mystery, but upon landing, Pleasure became began broadcasts to outer space. Beamed from the roof of this building, the international Morse code messages repeated W-E-L-C-O-M-E. <laughs> Further information on the incredible doings of Pleasure Island from 1911 to present day may be found inscribed on the quasi-historical plaques at all island entrances. Yeah. So, yeah, the Zephyr Rock and Roller Dome. I mean, first off, with that story, you can see 
all of their uh, backstories are getting kind of crazy, I would say. Meriwether Pleasure was involved in a lot of things. Yeah. So the Zephyr Rock and Roller Dome is kind of where uh, Jock Lindsay's hangar bar is now. Mm. Um, but yeah, this was a, it opened in 1989 as a combination dance club and roller skating rink, which you can imagine, hmm. Uh, but it started, Also, this was also a three-story um, tall building. You would go up the stairs to the third floor and on the second floor is where they had the roller skating rink that just kind of went in uh, like an oval around the stage on the first floor they actually had an elevated dj over the dance floor that was um, suspended up there hmm. and as you can imagine the roller skating you know kind of <laughs> combined with the uh the alcohol yeah not that a good combo that didn't last and so uh, very shortly into that it turned into the zephyr uh, rock and Roll Beach Club, mm. where it uh, remained all the way through 2008, with its um, had its icon of kind of like a, a shark with a with sunglasses. Ah, uh, yes, that was its uh, mascot, if you will. Mm. But yeah, they played popular hits as well. Very fun. I'm not sure if I ever actually went in that one, but I, I do did. remember the outside of it. We'll get into me not going to Pleasure Island <laughs> a lot after I read all these plaques. Okay, this brings us to. Our, you know, this is the most famous and beloved and sorely missed club. Of course, the Adventurers Club. Ah, yes. And according to the plaque, it was, this is actually the only one that the backstory coincides with the building itself. Like it didn't have a different name. Like this was the Adventurers Club. Mm -hmm. Founded in 1932, this imposing building was designed to house the personal, the huge personal library and archaeological trophy collection of island founder and compulsive explorer Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Pleasure won the plans in a game of dominoes and attributed them (laughs) throughout his life to noted architects Sir Edwin Lutons, Charles Rennie McIntosh, and Eliel Sarian. I don't know if these are like real people. I have not done that research. (laughs) Perhaps they're just anagrams of other people's names or something or just friends. The building became the headquarters for the Adventurers Club, Pleasure's zany band of globetrotting friends. Exotic souvenirs of the members' outlandish expeditions and riotous adventures were displayed on the walls. After Pleasure vanished at sea in 1941, the club was sealed until it was open to the public for the first time in 1989. Yeah, so yeah, this is the Adventurers Club, the most famous one. Uh, this was right across the street from uh, the Comedy Warehouse. This is uh, essentially where the Edison is now. Yes. Um, once again, you'd entered on the top floor, and uh, you you could kind of see the gallery below once you entered, and eventually, you know, there was a stairway in the back. You'd work your way th- over there and go down into the uh, gallery floor. Um, where they just had all kinds of crazy antics and the whole, you know, every square inch of the walls was covered with some, some exotic, uh, collections. You know, if you can imagine, you know, this is Joe Rody's baby. So, uh, yeah. Makes sense. (laughs) And he's a member of the real Adventurers Club. That's That's right. Whatever that's called, the Explorers Club. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. They had that, and the you know, the, a, a giant statue right in the middle of the floor of a guy fishing. Uh, there was the who was it? The general or or the, the admiral? Colonel? Uh, the colonel. Wow. You colonel know, Critchlow Suchbench. <laughs> yes. The club gleemeister. <laughs> exactly. Who would uh, ha, you know 
They would have all kinds of things, including the Adventurer's Creed, that they would uh, say oh, every now and again, which creed? was, yes, we climb the highest mountains just to get a better view. We plumb the deepest oceans because we're dancing, or sorry, daring through and through. <laughs> <laughs> we, cr- we cross the scorching desert, martinis in our hand. We ski the polar ice cap in tuxedo looking grand. We're reckless, brave, and loyal, and valiant to the end. If you come and hear a stranger, you'll exit as a friend. Very good. Yeah. So there are, you know, people that, that came to this, and, you know, they got all into, you know, all of the backstory and all of the uh, the antics yeah, that were going I, on throughout. I feel like this in and of itself is, like, another entire podcast oh, yeah. because there's just so many layers to it. There's... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine regular resident adventurer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would be doing a disservice to, <laughs> you know, not go into all of that uh, talking about the Adventures Club. But because we're talking about Pleasure Island in general, you know, we will save that for another podcast. Yeah. But needless to say, it is very beloved the characters as i said were like regulars um the performers got to know guests and guests got to know the performers and some of them are still at disney today doing you know special events and things like that Um, they even had a newsletter like an online newsletter that people would uh i'm not sure if it was online or if it was actual printed um but yeah, where they would just kind of have regular updates with like all kinds of articles with all um, you know nonsensical stories. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, with the... these adventurers, and of course, you know, this is uh, essentially the beginning of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. That's you know, right. The SEA. Well, that's right. Another which... podcast in and of itself, <laughs> which maybe we'll do a series and lead into that. But that's right. Uh, Destination D, Attraction Rewind in 2014, did a tribute to Pleasure Island and brought back the Adventurers Club for one night. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to experience that. You and I, we never really were Adventurers Club yeah. people. I mean, I went there a couple of times. Yeah. And I enjoyed you know going to all the different rooms and, and seeing the little shows that they had there. Like the mask room and the trophy room and then the library. And the shows that they would perform there. But yeah, I was not a regular. Yeah. Where, you know, where I enjoyed the legacy and the lore that a lot of people really got into. I feel like now I would be very into oh, it. Yeah. But at the time, I was, you know, in my <laughs> 20s and I'm. I'm still not really about like audience participation things. Right. And that's what I was always worried about going in there. I was like, I don't want anyone to call on me. I don't want to be a part of this. But I just want to observe. Just to observe, yes. But now <laughs> I still don't like that. But I think I would, I'm much more interested in the backstory and yeah. being, you know, an adult and knowing, not that I wasn't an adult before, <laughs> you know what I mean, but knowing a lot of um, the cast members involved in it over the years and seeing them at different events and things yeah. like that, I think I would appreciate it. Yeah, it would have been more. fun to have gone there often and just kind of see how the story evolved over yeah, the years. Exactly. Yeah, that and would have been fun. There are, you know, YouTube videos of various oh, yes. performances at the Adventures Club. So be sure to watch those mm-hmm. if you have not seen it yourself. Um, again, if you have fun stories of the Adventures Club, let us know. We'd love to hear them. And there are actually a couple other venues that 
you know, didn't open with clubs, but then later became clubs. And so do you want to go into those as well? Sure. That was a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would bring us to the Fireworks Factory, which was originally called the Fireworks Laboratory and Storage Bunker, opened in 1922. Island founder Meriwether Pleasure had a passion for pyrotechnics, which is not surprising. In 1922, he persuaded China's premier fireworks inventor, the Bangmaster, which would not fly <laughs> in 2021, to immigrate to Orlando. The master's lab and storage bunker were built on this spot, and for the next four years, Orlando's citizens enjoyed stupendous Independence Day aerial displays. On July 3rd, 1927, a stray spark from Pleasure's pipe set off an explosion that was heard in Tampa, (laughs) 82 miles away. Mrs. Pleasure insisted that the wreckage of the factory be preserved as a reminder of Pleasure's folly. Renovated as a joint venture by the Walt Disney Company and the Levy World Company. That's right. So yeah, the fireworks factory. This was actually a design that was originally meant for Discovery Bay at uh, Disneyland. You know, Mm -hmm. Tony Baxter's baby that uh, never really came to be. Um, But yeah, they opened it here as part of... um, Pleasure Island, and it was just a very typical restaurant. I think you had been there many times, right? Oh my gosh, Pleasure uh, Pleasure Island Fireworks Factory was our go-to <laughs> restaurant in like that area, Pleasure Island Disney Village Marketplace. Uh, we, I mean, it, it wasn't anything to write home about. It was literally like a TGI Fridays like, like just kind very of American Chili's restaurant. It did have a lot of uh, you know fireworks uh, yeah, paraphernalia throughout, things, but. but because it was a levy restaurant yeah. it was that was the theming was all disney and the the food was all Levy. not that there's anything against levy restaurants but it was just very you mm-hmm. know stuff you would find at any chain restaurant exactly. but we did enjoy it and i remember my mother getting ribs all the time there so <laughs> they did have good ribs barbecue ribs and i still have matches from the fireworks factory oh, cool. in my disney oh, matchbook collection that's actually kind of ironic isn't it though? I didn't burn anything down with them. All right, but I was going to say, uh, so this actually did later become a club. Uh, so the fireworks factory closed in 1998 and then became the Wild Horse Saloon. And this was after the uh, Neon Armadillo had already closed to become <coughs> BET Soundstage Club. The Wild Horse Saloon opened in 1998 as another country and western um, place. Um, and that lasted only th- maybe three or four years mm. to 2001. And then it became Motion, which played, you know, the top 40, top 40 hits. And yeah, so not much to say about that. And that, you know, Motion lasted all the way through the end. Yeah, which the end was kind of a slow demise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, next up is, again, not a club, but Meriwether's Market, which was originally like a food court area, Mm -hmm. I guess. I don't have any memory of ever going there. I do. I loved food courts at this (laughs) time. Uh, M.A. Pleasure's original sail-making factory, 1912. So, foundation and wellspring of the considerable fortune of island founder Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Uh, Once a month during the full moon, Pleasure could be seen on the roof of this building, chanting to the goddess of the tides to keep his various enterprises afloat. Pleasure Island's first sail was completed here in December 18, 1912, after the assembly of the last sail on June 4, 1931, perfectionist Meriwether Pleasure insisted that the factory be preserved intact. The building was devastated by Hurricane Connie in 1955 and restored in 1989. Now, mm-hmm. the reason we're covering that is, of course, later it became 
Raglan Road. Raglan Road. But mm-hmm. in between that, yeah. So this opened as Meriwether's Market, oh, the food right. court. It was the but this Pleasure was the Island Jazz yeah. This company. was the other location that had a club that became the Pleasure Island Jazz Company in 1993, um, and that lasted through 2005. And then uh, it became Raglan Road, which exists to this day. Yeah. I did want to go back one real quick and just mention that the fireworks factory slash Wild Horse Saloon slash Motion uh, was where the boathouse is now. Uh, yes. I had forgot to mention that. That's right. That. I was but, thinking that in my head because I knew where it was, but yeah. it's good to tell But Raglan people. Road, so this was their first um, time where they had gone in and essentially had an outside vendor come yeah, in. Yeah, a third party. become... A restaurant, and so the Disney kind of realized, "Hey, wait a minute, we can collect rent and a yeah. lot of rent." And so this kind of became the beginning of essentially the end of Pleasure Island, yeah. and to what it is now, where there are many, many restaurants and things mm-hmm. uh, run by different companies. Yeah, that's all the plaques that I have to right. read. The rest will be on the blog post, but I feel like we should also mention um, the West End. Oh yeah, stage. that's right. Yeah, so on the so they had all of these clubs where you would go inside, uh, but on the end, in between the what was the Neon Armadillo and the Comedy Warehouse, or later the BET Soundstage and the Comedy Warehouse, there was the West End Stage, which was essentially on the top of the hill. This was kind of like where that bridge that goes down to um, to the West Side yeah. is. <laughs> west Side, uh, and that. <laughs> It does have a plaque associated oh, with yeah. it. From 1941, West End Plaza, island founder and stargazer Meriwether Adam Pleasure was convinced during the sole flight of his X-Thing, if you recall from a previous mm-hmm. thing, uh, aircraft, that he could make contact with alien beings. Working feverishly, Pleasure completed the world's first and only alien landing platform <laughs> on July 4th, 1941. His wife, Isabella, immediately laid claim to it for her beloved Pleasure Island Philharmonic Concert Band. Much to Merriweather's disgust, how can they land when that blasted band is playing? <laughs> That's my Merriweather impression, for if you're wondering. I like it. Uh, this became home base for the PIPCB, which, you know, the Philharmonic Concert Band. Uh-huh. This, of course, was like Frankie, Frankie and, and the, the West, West End, End Boys. Boys. was a yeah, popular uh, band that played there. And, of course, it was also the venue where, they, where every night they had the... Um, the countdown yeah. for the New Year's Eve countdown that where they shot off fireworks from the roof of the um, of the Adventures Club. Yeah, and there was confetti cannons oh, yeah. and lots and they of did that every single night. Yeah, and the countdown leading up to you know the f- stroke of midnight, there was lots of video screens. It would be like a fifteen minute countdown. Yeah, right? and they would have they would check in with all the clubs, and people would be in the clubs, <laughs> and they're like, "Yes, we're here at the you know Neon Armadillo or whatever." Um, and they would show people. So people loved being on oh, TV. Yeah. And so they would love seeing themselves on the big screen or on the little screens in the various clubs. And they would go to each club and do the countdown. And then, you know, everyone would count down together. Yeah. So you didn't have to be outside of a club to experience uh, New Year's Eve That's every right. night. And it was a big you know, it selling a, point. And what's funny is if you compare it to kind of like what is now New Year's Eve at like Epcot or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. It was Pretty paltry, but you know, exactly. for the you know, for its location, it was you know, they they had a, a huge countdown and a yeah. lot of his pizzazz that went with that. And I think part of what made Frankie and the West End Boys popular is the locals and the oh, cast yeah. members, sure. which you know, every Thursday was cast member <laughs> discount night, and 
that's when people went and really, you know, everyone knew everybody and it was a big yeah. rollicking good time if you were into that sort of thing back then, which I was, <laughs> I think I was just like a little too young and afraid to get drunk a lot because I was 21, but I have always been like, you know, I don't want to lose control yeah. of my faculties. And I need to be in control. Um, so I was not a big club person. I was not a big drinker. So it ne never like occurred to me to spend money to go to Pleasure yeah. Island because of that. I did go a couple of times and I remember there being like a big cauldron type thing oh on like the corner of the main walkway and people were like pouring out drinks into cups Yikes. and I was just like, ah. I was very, you know. Yeah. sheltered i guess <laughs> and as someone who doesn't drink yeah i i, I only went there a few times but uh, I, I was able to f find ways to have fun yeah. you know going to places like the adventurers club and the comedy warehouse mostly yeah. and also i you know it wasn't like i didn't have cast member friends to go hang out with right. but we worked on main street usa <laughs> and by the time we were done with our shifts it was usually like pleasure island was closed yeah, so it, we hung it, out it at perkins at, at 2 a.m at yeah. crossroads and we would eat breakfast at 2 a.m oh. and then i would go home so that was my exciting night and i as a result <laughs> i didn't really appreciate um pleasure island as much yeah, as others as easy have. to uh, but there were a couple of other uh, features that one could find as on the streets they actually had like little catwalks where there was like a um like a DJ oh, yeah. for the streets of Pleasure Island. And this was right next to also the a building right in the middle called Jessica's of Hollywood, where they had a giant Jessica Rabbit um, sign with her giant leg that kind of waved back That's and forth. Right. Yes. This um, was the time of Jessica Rabbit and Who Framed right. Roger Rabbit. Which so. opened in 1988. So this was right after that. And this was a store that actually sold for a time lingerie. Just like a Fredericks of Hollywood, it this was, was Jessica's, Jessica's of Hollywood. Hollywood. Wow! Yeah, I have no memory of that. Which was very odd. Mm. A little uh, very fun. Yeah, just to be able to say that 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 was a thing there. Yeah, was it like Disney? He probably didn't go. It was not a Disney branded. <laughs> <laughs> How sure. odd! But yeah, like the Wizard of Bras only for the nineties. Exactly. But uh, there were uh, several other uh, shops of note as well. That's true. Yes. Um, like the Avigator's Supply, which kind of sold like uh, bomber jackets and, mm. and a lot of clothing. If you really wanted to take the theming home with you. Yeah, I, I tended to shop there. They actually had a fun um, logo of an alligator with aviator glasses on and kind of <laughs> wings to make him look like an airplane. Uh, and farther down, they had suspended animation. Yes, I remember going It was kind of like a one. poster shop. A lot of fun Disney posters, as well as Yester Ears, which was... Um, kind of like a Disney shop that had a lot of historical things. Didn't was that suspended animation that sold animation cells? As oh yeah, well? I'm sorry. Yeah, that posters was very as well as yeah, then. animation cells, and that's pretty much kind of like right at the heyday, right when that uh, began. Yeah. Before even all of the um, the shops that you might see yes. now are. And I think that like yesteryear years and suspended animation that's like right near where paradiso, mm -hmm. 37, paradiso 37 is i remember right. those stairs going yep. up yeah and that, those two as well as Avigator's supply those were um all connected and you could kind of yeah. walk in between each other without um having to go out on the street yeah and you also on the other side of the street had 
um, additional like just Disney shops and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I don't remember. Well, they had a few others. Um, Changing Attitudes, which I believe was a just a regular a clothing regular, shop. Yeah. Uh, Superstar Studios, where you could actually perform um, some music, and then they would give you a little cassette of your performance, if I'm not mistaken. Very fun. I never personally did that. <laughs> uh, as well as uh, Doodles. Yes. And the Island Depot. Doodles. So, yeah. But then, of course... uh, And all of these had plaques on them, which, again, I will list on the blog post. But then towards um, 2008, (laughs) uh, I guess... Well, first off, we should talk about um, the, the admission policy. Yeah, so it started out having... Uh, a cover charge, mm-hmm. which is why they had the ticket booths in the front, yeah. if you recall, the little former Fort Wilderness Railroad uh, booths, the little booths, cars. Cars, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name of that. And you would buy your ticket, and there was turnstiles, and you would go across the bridge, um, kind of where Raglan Road is mm-hmm. now. And start your experience and then you could get into all the clubs and yeah but, the, and but later they opened the west side which was you know it, it was a very oddly shaped complex basically yeah. had yeah the marketplace on one side west side on the other with pleasure island in the middle mm-hmm. and in order to get from one to the other you had to walk through it yeah uh, so that eventually they kind of opened it up where you could just walk through pleasure island um, and so they, they charged per club. You could either get a one club uh, ticket mm. or a ticket for all of the clubs. Um, but but when Pleasure Island was open, you know, in the middle, like towards the, in the evening, yeah. and you had families kind of walking from one to the other, it became a very odd mix yes. to be able to, you know, to dragging <coughs> your children from one side to the other yeah. through this um, lot of lot of music <laughs> and drinking. So it's a very odd time. Yeah. So this all led to uh, the eventual demise and down, you know. Yeah, and I think part of it was that they just didn't keep up with the times. And people had moved on, you know. There was a whole world outside of Disney, and going to Pleasure Island wasn't cool anymore. Right. (laughs) I mean, when in 2007 they announced that uh, it would be closing, of course, you know, the, the... the loyal um, attendees of some of these places, especially um, the Adventures Club, oh, yes. you know, they came out in force Petitions and they and petitioned and they say, you know, we need to save Pleasure Island. I believe there was an actual Save Pleasure Island website, website as well. Yeah. Um, but no, it did not work. And slowly they demolished, I know like <laughs> the Zephyr uh, Rock and Roll Club got yeah. Uh, torn down as well as you know um, motion and all that area and and those places were sitting that way for quite some time uh, before they figured out what they were going to do yes and at one time they proposed disney proposed an idea for hyperion wharf yeah back in november of 2010 yeah. They announced that that's what it was going to be. I actually have uh, what they said it was going to be. It was a nostalgic yet modern take on early 20th century port city and amusement pier, which will evolve from Pleasure Island to Hyperion Wharf. By day, the bustling port district will draw guests in with its stylish boutiques and innovative restaurants. And by night, 
thousands of lights will transform the area into an electric wonderland. Mm. Taking its name from Hyperion, the Greek god of light, as well as the street on which uh, Disney built its first animation studio, the Wharf District will also uh, feature a relaxing lakeside park and enhanced pedestrian walkways. Mm. Its diverse eateries will expand dining availability at Downtown <laughs> Disney by more than 25%. Wow. That sounds great to me as a shareholder. Yeah. So they actually <laughs> came up with some um, artwork to co- to go along with this announcement of Hyperion Wharf, and yeah. it's actually beautiful. Right, which we it, will show you if you're watching this on the video. Yeah, you're probably well, like seeing it like all of right the now. buildings, you know, were dotted with the lights. Um, yeah, I mean, it looked gorgeous, and it sounded like a great idea. Yeah. But then just nothing happened yeah. with it for they, a while. They made that announcement, and then nothing. And slowly, you know, they would... They turned uh, certain places into, you know, these outside vendor eateries. Uh, but eventually, that's when they said, you know what, no, we're going to do Disney Springs instead. Yes, and that was in 2013, that announcement was made. Okay. And it's there today. You can go see that's Disney right. Springs. I mean, Disney Springs is lovely. The actual springs themselves, which is kind of where the, um, the canal is that separated Pleasure Island from the mainland, that's essentially kind of where uh, yeah. the actual springs is right now. And it really is beautiful. It really is, yeah. Um, they almost did too good of a job in this <laughs> transformation because now it's like ridiculously busy at Disney Very Springs busy, all yes. the time. Even, you know, in these times uh, before recently when capacity was much lower, um, you could go to Disney Springs and it didn't seem like there was any capacity restrictions there. It's always so crowded now. Yeah. Unless and you're there like right when they open on a weekday, perhaps. And it's so big because, you know, it took up yeah. what was the marketplace, which is still the marketplace, the west side, which is still that. Um, you know, Pleasure Island became the landing. Mm-hmm. But then what was the... Um, a lot of the parking lot that became more oh, yeah. of Disney Springs too. Yeah, they bumped it out. Yeah, so it's it's gigantic, and they just they've added so many things, so many restaurants, so many uh, yeah. shops and um, eateries as well. Yeah, they really did go all in on the restaurants. I don't think there's one <laughs> um, of the newer restaurants that they added that is not good. I mean, they all have yeah. great reputations for having great food, so they really chose wisely and the with the shopping they kind of just brought in what you would find at a mall we've come full circle to a mall and it's now um, a a pleasant outdoor mall yes with you know some of them are really high-end shops that you and I might not go to but um, some tourists that come here from Mm -hmm. many other countries may not want to make a trek to the mall at Millennia or the Florida mall they can do all of their shopping here and get Disney discounts with yeah, their Yeah, but in addition to, you know, what is the, the giant Disney store. That's true. The, the World of Disney store. There's also several shops peppered uh, throughout that are actually Disney-owned and operated that you may or may not know are Disney-owned and operated. That is true. Um, yeah, there's that Ever After boutique, mm-hmm. I guess it is, which has like... It opened up being like jewelry, but it now has like all the Dooney and Burke purses right. and all the designer... And there's so many... Uh, these days, Disney collaborations with um, high-end fashion, not yep. super high-end, but, you know, like <laughs> Coach and uh, 
Vera Bradley and so that's a great way for them to increase their branding and right. all this crazy stuff uh, yeah the Amaretz Patisserie which is technically in the marketplace side I mm-hmm. believe yep. um, that's a Disney owned thing yep. which it's I only discovered like, recently I just well assumed it was its own burger thing. as yeah. well and the Ganacherie is also mm-hmm. a Disney right. thing so yeah um, Gideon's is not but yeah everything at Disney Springs now kind of has like a uh, a very good reputation yeah, and, and a, a loyal following. Yeah, from a, a lot loyal of folks, following. Yeah. Lots of so they they did it. They made Pleasure Island a success. They just took the clubs out and they took the signs away yeah. and all of the plaques and the backstory. Exactly, but that's okay. I mean, we'll always have our memory. That's right. I don't have many memories, so I have a single <laughs> memory. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was a fun time oh, in yeah. Disney history it certainly goes along with the rest of the Eisner era um, kind of craziness that happened that you just can't imagine yeah. stuff like that happening today yeah as I mentioned before it opened the same uh, day as the Disney MGM Studios which became Disney's Hollywood Studios and one month later Typhoon Lagoon opened which you know along with the story that the typhoon yes, that they, that's the same hurricane the same yeah right. the hurricane that wiped out that land also did the number on it's Typhoon all Lagoon. connected and so, yeah all, i mean this should... was that giant area or giant time period of all of that building the, yeah. the eisner area that we had mentioned so. uh we should mention that disney springs does also have a backstory oh yeah but there's no plaques for it <laughs> um you just no. kind of have to find it you're on your own um through you know words on buildings and things like that but basically it is at working springs and um, I believe there's something about orange groves as well. That's right. So <laughs> I, like <laughs> I don't know it, the exact I, story I like on that, that it's but more I will look it up. Like that, so. Yeah. So it is fun that um, there is still a backstory, but you can go to Disney Springs and not ever think about the backstory. I'm sure most people do go to Disney Springs and not think yes. about the backstory. I mean, I would say the same with Pleasure Island. Yeah, most people true. did not read the plaques or know anything about that backstory, but it's fun that it was there. Yeah. And it all started with Rosie O'Grady. That's right. And Bob Snow, who's mm-hmm. still alive to this day. Mm-hmm. So I think he still lives in Orlando. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. If you want to be on the show, let us know. We can <laughs> hear more stories of oh, yeah. Rosie O'Grady special. Uh, but we thank you for listening, of course, and watching if you're watching us on the video and getting all of these fun uh, photos and ancient videos <laughs> that are probably not going to be the best quality, but you know. It was the 90s. What are you going to do? That's right. Giant handheld camcorders on your shoulder (laughs) recording. Thank goodness for those people that did that. Um, If you have any Pleasure Island tales that you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear them. Oh, yeah. Uh, You can just send them to Xana at Xanaland.com and I will get them and read them on the show. Or you can drop a comment. Uh, yeah, I'll read them on the live show. Oh, that yes. would be fun. Because when this comes nights, out, yeah. we can talk about the podcast on the live show. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all goes according to plan, knock on wood, maybe this time the recording will work. <laughs> but we do thank you for watching. Uh, we will have another podcast. It will not be four months in between uh, next time. So stay tuned. Turn those notifications on. Subscribe. Yes, um, and share. Please tell your friends. As I've mentioned a few times, there is a video version, which will be the highlights version, and then you can listen to the full version um, on you know audio podcasts on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to your podcast, which you may be doing right now. So we do thank you for listening. Tell a friend if you enjoyed what you heard or saw, and uh, we will see you next time up the waterfall. That's right. Bye now.